Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is Managing Editor James Kleiman to talk about mortgage rates, how the debt ceiling resolution affects the mortgage market, lender M&A activity, and more. First, here's a word from our sponsor. This is Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at HW Media, talking with Christina Bennett, Senior Vice President of UWM Sales, about a career in the wholesale channel. Christina, what have you seen happen in the wholesale channel over the past six months? Yes, Sarah, we've seen some great growth in the wholesale channel over the past several months. Specifically, every single week, we're getting hundreds of phone calls from retail loan officers calling in to find out how can they join an independent mortgage broker? How can they become an independent mortgage broker? And quite honestly, just realizing that wholesale is better for consumers and a better place for them to work as well. Thanks, Christina. And listeners, you can go to BeAMortgageBroker.com to get more information. Okay, let's dig in. James, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, good to be back, Sarah. Great to have you back. We have lots of things to talk about. Let's start with mortgage rates. Yeah, so the Freddie Mac PMMS survey just came out about an hour ago. So it's Thursday. And the rates as of June 1st from the last week came in at 6.79%. It's one of the higher readings we've had over the last uh, couple years, certainly. And um, it's interesting because they're, they're, the, the way that these surveys are constructed, they're looking at a week, right? And when we sit here and talk on Thursday, it's a little bit different, right? So when we think about 6.79%, that in, includes a lot of noise from late last week when rates were well over 7%. And I, I text with a bunch of LOs uh, across different parts of the country and they were quoting people in the 7.3, 7.4 range, their baseline for really well-regarded, uh, you know, people with great credit scores and really strong down payments was Seven one, right? So these are among the highest readings we have had in a very long time. I think November was the last time that we consistently saw rates in the sevens. As we talk right now on Thursday, June first, I'm hearing quotes mostly in the mid sixes, and and so that's great for mortgage originators. It's great for lenders. Uh, it's not as great for the secondary mortgage market because it's that volatility that we talk about, right? I mean, to be able to price an asset that jumps from 7.4 to 6.6 in the course of a couple of days creates a lot of pressures, a lot of strains, a lot of challenges for investors and for the, you know, the commonly the independent mortgage banks that are trying to figure out a capital market strategy. So it's, it's, very volatile. I think there are reasons to think that things might stabilize a little bit in the coming weeks. I think we're hearing from a good number of people, the folks on the ground who are saying, maybe that was the bottom last week's seven point whatever. And there are a couple reasons for it. 
The bottom meaning the top? The, the bottom is like, this is the worst. You know, the rates are at their highest level. Activity is going to be at its lowest because, you know, people who are maybe maybe thinking about getting a mortgage, uh, pulling the trigger on, on locking in a rate, they're not going to do that at 7.1, 7.2, 7.3, 7.4. They're going to wait. People who are putting in offers are going to wait. And so that lack of activity is really, um, I think that's what they mean when they say this is the bottom um, because the rates are so high, right? And now that we're in a little bit more of the six and a half range, it's not great. Nobody's going to tell you that six and a half is fantastic, but it's a lot better than seven and a half. You know, there are just not many people. If if that isn't a factor, if that isn't a challenge for you, you probably don't need a big mortgage. You probably don't have a financing issue that really changes the equation for you, right? So um, this is why I, I think people are encouraged that perhaps that was the worst period uh, in this very challenging year and change that we've experienced. And and there are a couple reasons. One, debt ceiling deal. It's not fully inked yet, but everyone I've spoken to would be extremely surprised if that wasn't inked. And that's very encouraging. You know, the, the nightmare scenario would be the debt deal doesn't get done, there's a breakaway group of Republicans and on the other side, uh, Democrats who won't sign it. They don't have the votes. We default in a week and rates probably shoot up another couple points, maybe, right? And then, you know, if you don't think people are buying much at 7.2%, imagine at eight something. So that's that's a terrible, terrible scenario. And, and uh, fortunately, it doesn't appear that that's going to occur. Uh, although in Washington, anything can happen, right? So I'm going to cross my fingers and, and hope that <laughs> that this cake is fully baked. Um, and and here, here are the two bigger factors, I, I think, that are worth watching. One, there are strong indications now, notably reporting from the Wall Street Journal, that the Fed is going to pause rate hikes at its upcoming meeting in June, and that's coming up in a couple weeks. And that doesn't mean that we're out of the woods, that the Fed is not going to reconsider if there is very strong economic data that suggests that inflation is maybe way higher than than even they had projected it would be at this point. But we've seen that the, the Fed's strategy has been somewhat effective. You know, we're, we're not in the 2% range, right? So that's, and that's probably never going to happen uh, in, in this cycle. Um, but, but definitely we're seeing in the jobs report that was just released uh, a couple days ago that U.S. employers are gradually dialing back the pace of hiring and hourly earnings are moderating. And, and I think that's really, that's some solace to the Federal Reserve policymakers who are still trying to get inflation under control. And the government data released on Friday showed that payrolls were under 200,000, uh, increased by less than 200,000 in May. And, um, you know, that that's down from the average monthly job growth of, I think it was like 370,000 over the past year. So that's that's pretty significant. And then earnings uh, only rose 0.3% from the prior month when they were, I believe they, were, they posted the biggest advance in, in a year. And so these are good signs that the Federal Reserve's policy has worked in in at least maybe not fully breaking the labor market, but 
giving them strong reasons to think that uh, a pullback when you also consider some of the the banking tumult that we've had uh, is, is the right measure. And that's, that's very good news for the mortgage market, which, uh, you know, depending on who you talk to, they've already baked in a uh, 25 basis point rate. And, and if it ends up that they didn't have to, and, and that offers some stability going forward, I think that's a really, really positive sign. And, um, you know, we're, we're not seeing a big uptick in inventory. Uh, pending contracts still don't look great. We're still way below where we want to be. I think the the spring home buying season, now that it is June first and Memorial Day is behind us, I think we can all conclude that it it didn't really quite uh, reach the level that people had hoped. But again, if we do hit summer period in which we're in the low mid sixes, uh, this could be a pretty active market. Yeah, that we really could. Yeah, all of that is good news. I agree with you that. It- Mortgage rates in the mid to low sixes is a stabilizing force and people, especially after the run up into the sevens, are going to be like, okay, I'm going to pull the trigger if they're waiting at all. They're like, I better do it now, you know. Um, so I think that that has some impact on it. Um, it's it's unfortunate. Of course, our industry suffers so much when when we have those high mortgage rates. I mean, everything just kind of shuts down. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I I think there's another interesting point we're talking about. We've heard from a lot of loan officers over the last really month or two with rates being in the mid to high sixes, low sevens, they get what's called shopped around. And I think that's natural. That's normal. Even the CFPB has put it out there that people should be shopping for lower rates and it could save you a couple hundred hours a month. And when affordability is already at, at it's worst point in, I don't even know how long, many, many years. Um, if you can save a couple hundred hours a month, you will, you should, right? Uh, that's not good news for loan officers. The only thing worse for a loan officer than being shopped around is not being shopped at all. Right. And so we're, we're now, uh, we're, we're probably just getting out of the, the area in which a lot of those leads end up being a battle, right? So when people are in the twos and the threes and the fours, you go with a mortgage broker, you go with an LO at a retail shop um, and you probably stick with them and they probably have a pull through rate. That is, I don't know, in the eighties, nineties, whatever, when rates are in the high sixes, low sevens, and you're quoting somebody 3,800 hours a month in a mortgage payment, people are going to say, you know what? I'm going to see if I can do better. I'm going to see if I can get it to 3,300 or whatever. And and so a lot of LOs have lost loans as a result of being shopped around. And maybe that means their competitor was willing to lower their comp, or maybe they had different products that they could offer that you couldn't. You're going to see less of that in the low sixes, mid sixes. So that that is one additional benefit for the practitioners, the LOs who are, you know, no, nobody has a very full pipeline right now. Uh, and, and so that will help. And, and when you're losing one or two loans a month and you're only doing three, that's, that's tough. That's really tough. That is really tough. Um, you know, another part of the debt ceiling deal that affects mortgage, which uh, Flavia wrote about, one of our reporters, was the fact that um, it, you know, uh, student loan debt payments will resume under this debt ceiling. So 
you know, I, I don't know how much that that affects, but what did she find in that uh, story? I don't think that there is going to be a big impact on this. You, you see this thread, this commentary a lot from the the folks who think that there is a housing bubble and everything is going to burst and and this is just one more pressure. Uh, it, it's often the, the same folks that think that there's this huge market of Airbnbs that are going to blow up and and you know no one's going to be able to uh, to recover from you know, you know a recession that means Americans won't won't you know travel or whatever. I, I don't think it's true. One reason is because even though payments have been on pause, the underwriting requires that LOs and lenders uh, factor that in to the DTI. And so on paper, those payments have already been written into the loan. Um, Does that mean that, uh, you know, people who maybe, maybe lost a job or maybe, you know, maybe there was another negative economic factor that, uh, would be paired with them not having say an extra 300 or 500 hours available, uh, to put into their mortgage. Could that be a factor? Yeah, I think so. I think there's definitely, there are always going to be people, especially those who bought, uh, in, in 2022 when rates were high, relatively high, um, you know, there, there was a survey that came out by clever real estate the other day that found something like two thirds of borrowers surveyed who bought in the last two years have experienced some trouble coming up with their mortgage payments. If you are someone who has student loan debt, you weren't paying it during this period and you also didn't set it aside. And maybe there's another issue that comes up uh, related beyond just inflation. Um, I, I could see there being some people who are affected by it. The hope would be underwriting is better. It's just so much better than it it was pre great financial crisis. And I would like to think that most of those loans will be okay. And, and look, that's terrible for the people who might be uh, facing a challenging situation. But if it does lead to more inventory, um, that from a macroeconomic perspective wouldn't be the worst thing. If you have people who are already over levered uh, and, and now they, they just can't afford that 500 hour payment that they had, you know, built into this, uh, this, this underwriting, um, it just means somebody else will take it. Right. Yeah, I mean that's that's the thing. There's not going to be a bunch of foreclosures based on student loans because, like, if if you're getting into trouble, if you're getting late, you can sell your house. I mean, you know, obviously, like you said, that's sad for that person, um, but it's not like they're going to, you know, go into foreclosure and it's going to be five years. It's going to be a vacant, boarded up house. It's just nothing right. like you know that's not gonna the last time. This time they're going to sell their house, probably still have some money to to uh, spare on that. So. Um, you know, definitely not a huge hit to the mortgage market, I don't think. Or more likely, we have so many new loss mitigation uh, tools available, and one would expect them to pursue an option like that before declaring, uh, you know, uh, some sort of, oh, God, I can't pay this. I'm just going to sell the house. There's also, I believe the Supreme Court is going to be reviewing ruling on uh, the Biden administration's case to forgive between ten and $20,000 in student debt. Um, if that does come to pass, then 
certainly there are people who would benefit tremendously from having, you know, up to $20,000 wiped out. I just don't think that there's going to be a huge cross section of people who have student loans who are already near the limit of what they can pay and haven't been paying, uh, you know, setting that money aside or, or using it toward, um, you know, the mortgage payments and, and don't have the equity, right? We also have to think about the equity position. So this would, right. in, in a lot of cases, only affect people who pretty recently bought the home and don't have a lot of other options. And, and I, I think there are very few homeowners who check all those boxes. I know one of the points that Logan often makes, uh, Logan Motoshami, our lead analyst, is that um, the the people who would benefit from the ten thousand um, dollars, if you have ten thousand dollars and below in debt, and that is the majority of people, like if, I think it's like seventy percent of student loan debt, and many times those are people who didn't, who weren't able to finish college, so they're not getting the benefit of a better job, and oftentimes those are not people who have uh, secured a mortgage. That's a good point. It'll be interesting. See, but I think from all perspectives, there's not a student loan debt crash coming, and and I think it'll probably be a a, a small, a, you know, a small blip for the mortgage market. Yeah, and unfortunately, though, there there still hasn't been a proper policy reckoning with student loans. Uh, I don't have any student loans. I, I managed to pay them. Uh, my wife still has some, and we're in our late thirties, <laughs> and and we're. I think very fortunate. I know people who are making good, not great money living in high cost of living areas that have $600, $700 a month payments or more, and they're going to be going on and on and on. And, and there are a lot of, there are a lot of arguments for and against forgiving the debt. Uh, but there doesn't seem to be much effort to really rein in the costs that have contributed to this issue in the first place. And it's another, it's a significant contributing factor in why millennials are, are not able, despite uh, the, the numbers, right? There are so many of us uh, and, and they're still not able to get a house. They don't have the equity. And then they have these high payments that are fixed and, you know, the job market, although I think it's still a pretty good job market actually uh, is just, it's not, it's, it, it doesn't lead to them being as competitive as they could be. So the Supreme Court has to um, decided to hear that this session, right? So in between here and um, October, or is it starting in October? I am. I would have to check. I don't know. <laughs> I should know this first Monday in October. Um, anyway, interesting. So you talk to a lot of loan officers, and I try to talk to people as much as I can at conferences. You and I were uh, just recently at the MBA Secondary. Um, event, which obviously didn't have uh, maybe a lot of loan officers, but as you're talking to them, you know, how are they feeling about this? What are they, you know, in general, how are they getting through this market? Yeah, we're, we're seeing a lot of high performers, those top LOs who are on the, the Scotsman guide lists and national mortgage news and all that. And, and um, they're still very much in demand. And that's because they have generally speaking, really strong structures that are set up. And and in most cases, they have been through a couple cycles. These are by and large not 28-year-olds who got into it in 2018, 2019, and are, are you know, thriving right now. There are some that they exist, uh, but it's, it's some minority, absolutely. And so those top performing LOs, very much in demand. We're still seeing signing bonuses thrown at them. 
those can be what they call golden handcuffs sometimes. And, and they, you know, do prevent some loan officers from moving to different companies. And, and, uh, you know, often we, we see things like, and this is big in real estate, people always say, oh, well, you know, the reason I moved, it wasn't money. It was a culture fit. I'm sure that happens on occasion. 90 something percent of the time, that's absolute nonsense. They move for the money. Um, you know, in, in other cases, they'll, they'll move because they get better support or they get more marketing strength or, you know, maybe, maybe they get an opportunity to build a team in a different way. Um, there are a lot of different compensation models out there also that, that allow, you know, some people to pay by lead type uh, or to get paid rather by, by lead type. And um, so, so it's pretty interesting. You know, we, we definitely see companies like cross country revolution, you mortgage uh, several others that are, that are definitely in growth mode and, you know, using this opportunity when it's a, not a dead market, but a barely breathing market to make moves. And, you know, they're all a little bit different, but at the end of the day, they all do the same thing, right? They're trying to sell a mortgage to a customer and, and so much of it comes down to getting the lead and working the phones and going to the T-ball games and going to the Rotary Club and networking with real estate agents. If you were a mortgage loan officer and all you did was refis, in 2020 and 2021, what good are you to a real estate agent in 2022, 2023? Your skill set doesn't match what they need. And so the best loan officers are still looking at pipelines that are generally speaking down about 50%, even the best ones. And um, the worst ones not worst. I, I don't want to frame it in, in such a negative light, but those who are not as productive are just out of the game. They they haven't originated a loan in four or five months. You're you're working at the mall now. You're working, you know, selling Verizon phones or whatever. You're doing something else. Maybe you're in a different sales position. That doesn't mean you can't sell. Uh, but you also you need a network. You need you need to be able to capitalize on the few opportunities that are going to come your way. Because as we said earlier, there just aren't a lot of people who are in the market right now for a mortgage in, in the mid sixes and the high sixes and the sevens, right? So um, if you can't be strategic, if you mistime the market, um, you know, in some markets, real estate is, is always about local markets, right? So when we talk about the market, what's happening in San Francisco is wildly different to what's happening in Lexington, Kentucky and down in Palm, Palm beach, Florida, or in, in the New York suburbs where I am and you need a different strategy. So one of the frustrating things that I often hear from LOs is a lot of these big national lenders have these not one size fits all strategies, but they'll talk about, you know, certain, um, you know, marketing, promotions or certain, you know, here's how to get like, you know, first time home buyers who are looking for an FHA loan in, you know, getting them into a house. And if you're an LO outside of Boston, where entry level is in like, what, the sevens, you know, like, that doesn't help you. What does that do for you? And the company is spending all this marketing money you know, now you no longer have uh, a loan officer assistant. You don't have as many underwriters. You don't have all of the people who make this process happen. Uh, you have less support staff, and and that's 
the nature of the game, right? There, there are only so many mouths that can be fed by a certain amount of business. Um, and, and so they're not salty about that necessarily. But then when they see a company that seemingly doesn't know what they actually need, prioritizing products and services and, you know, telling them to make TikToks about, you know, how to help with, with certain borrowers that are never going to be in their target market. It's kind of like, why, why are you spending money on this? Why aren't you listening to me? You know, I need something else. And they grow frustrated. And, uh, you know, the tools for an LO in a competitive market out in Boston are going to be so different than the tools in LO in the suburban Detroit market need, right? Um, because there you, you need to figure out how to work with definitely more first-time home buyers who are going to be of lower or moderate income who might need help with down payment assistance or you know might need to know the ins and outs of why an FHA loan um, maybe works better than a conventional mortgage for their situation or it doesn't right and 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 so it it really is a, a game in which you have to know your borrower's financial situation really well. You can't have a DTI surprise at the last minute, right? You need to know what their strategy is, what their plan is. An LO that I talked to in Boston, um, real experience, you know, she's got 30 something years in the game. She's been through every cycle. Uh, she knows her stuff. She's a high performer and what she needs is so different than what an LO in Florida who's working with condo buyers needs, you know, and, and I, I think in a lot of cases, the lenders haven't quite caught up to the nuances of figuring out how to work in, in a tough environment. Everybody feels good when rates are in the threes and, and you're making money. Um, but it's, it's a totally different game now. It really is. And just like we're saying, you know, you're talking about, um, you know, the really high performing LOs are still going to be fine. And then you have a lot of people shaking out. We've seen a, a lot of M&A this, um, this season, this over the last few months. And we just had one that we reported today about Planet acquiring Platinum um, Home Mortgage Corporation, right? So, um, you know, Platinum, not a huge uh, name, but had like 70 offices, um, something like that, right? They had, oh, sorry, 22 branches and 79 active loan officers. So, so not huge. But it just shows you, I mean, we think that M&A is going to continue to heat up. Yeah. And, and it's going to be those those types like platinum. It's If you're under a billion in origination volume per year over the last 12 months or whatever, uh, you just you don't have the scale. You don't have the ability to withstand some of the challenges that a bigger player is able to, to work on. You don't have... Uh, the MSRs that you can sell, you, you probably have to deal with, uh, you know, just a lot of different factors that a rocket, a UWM, uh, even a planet, you know, doesn't have to deal with planets been pretty acquisitive. They've been pretty, pretty aggressive and, and they've been moving up the rankings as well. They bought a home points correspondent business about a year and a half ago or whatever. And, uh, and and again, they're one of those companies like Guilds, uh, like UWM, like Rocket, that are thinking strategically and, and making a lot of plans for the future. They're thinking about a cycle that's a little bit better than this. And, uh, you know, everybody has to insulate themselves. Nobody can be just arrogantly throwing money away and making decisions that are going to come come bite you, you know, tomorrow, not, not even next week or 
you know, months from now, years from now. But if you can't plan out more than a couple months from today, it's it's really telling. And if you are struggling with your cash position, as almost every independent mortgage bank in America is, at some point the cash runs out. You're also not in as good a position when the market turns to work with the borrowers, to work with the real estate agents. So what we've seen over the last couple of years has been that sort of consolidation that the, the bigger players are getting bigger and the smaller players are having to, to partner with others, whether it's through a JV or uh, another acquisition type, or they just go out of business. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I was at the, the, secondary conference with you in, in New York last week. And, and we heard from a couple panelists, we're talking about efficiencies in mortgage, both the primary and the secondary mortgage markets. And I can't remember the pa- panelist, but he said, it's not like you just shut down a mortgage company either. You don't just say, okay, I guess we're done. You still have a lot of work to do at the end of it. And so for many of the folks in this position, the the under 1 billion in volume, especially, they have to find a dance partner because the money, the money is going to, to be gone in, in a couple months or less. We, we see uh, originators that I think of as pretty decently sized more in the one to 4 billion range. And there are lawsuits that say they're not paying their rent, that they're not uh, paying their vendors, and this is going to continue. The first quarter was not as rough as the fourth quarter of 2022, but it wasn't good. The average IMB lost $2,000 or so almost per loan. I don't think the second quarter is going to be, hey, they made you know right. 1200 per loan. It's still going to be a loss in the second quarter. How many companies in America, period, forget mortgage companies, can sustain three to four quarters of, of losses on every product they make. It is so rough. Well, James, thanks for being on today and bringing us up to speed. Your newsroom's doing a great job. Uh, we hear about these, we hear rumors of MA constantly. And I really appreciate the fact that the reporters and editors at Housing Wire under your direction do a great job and make sure that, you know, because there's all sorts of things flying around that are not true and that they um, get to the bottom of it and, and give us great reporting on these things that do happen. Thanks, Sarah. Good to be with you. Hi, I'm McKenna Clay, Events and Programs Specialist here at HW Media, and I wanted to invite you to our upcoming event this summer. A theme we've heard from housing leaders this year is the importance of relationships to not only survive, but be strategic in 2023. And that's why we decided to invite the top C-suite executives and leaders in mortgage to join us at Gathering of Eagles in Austin, Texas from June 18th until 21st. Now, Gathering of Eagles has historically been exclusive to the nation's most elite brokerage, association and team leaders, and C-suite leaders. But for the first time this year, we're opening up the audience to include execs from mortgage, title, and insurance so that you can connect and build vital partnerships for your business. 
If you want to learn more, visit the events page on realtrends.com and you can get registered today to come hang out with us in Austin. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show or leave a comment. We'll see you back here on Monday for more news and insight.